Three texts this morning I want you to notice with me, two of which are quite familiar, and then a third one that's frankly full of mystery and obscurity. The first text you'll notice on the screen with me is Revelation 22, verse 16. It says, I, Jesus, am the root and offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Look at it carefully because what you have there, obviously, in this text, in the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, is our Lord Jesus identifying himself with both a scepter, that's the throne of David there, and also with a star. So that the Lord Jesus is both the king of the world and the light of the world. Which brings us to the second text I want you to notice, also very familiar. And it's in the first book of the New Testament in the middle of the Bible, and you'll notice as you have it in your Bibles, Matthew 2, verse 1, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, where is he that is born king? Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Well, there it is again, right? I mean, somehow... These magi, it's where we get the word magistrate and the word magic. These pagan astrologers, far eastern rulers and wise men, somehow they choose to travel over 900 miles. It took Ezra four months to take that journey. And over mountains and rivers and sand and desert, all in search of a king and a star. In fact, you'll notice their words in verse 2. It says, we have seen his star, the royal star. That's why they went to Jerusalem first, not Bethlehem. They went to Jerusalem because it's the capital city where kings are always born. The question is this. How in the world did they know? I mean, granted, these men are counselors. They're mathematicians. They're astrologers and astronomers. And thus, they would obviously be thrilled about the appearance of a new star up in the sky. But how do they know that it meant to travel to Israel? How do they know it was a royal star? In fact, how do they know that the appearance of a star up in the sky even meant that a king was born? Why does it say in Matthew 2.10, you look at it, When the wise men saw the star again, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Well, that brings us to the third text this morning, which is in the Old Testament. And it's in one of the very first books of the Bible. And as we noted, far from being familiar, far from being sung about in carols and hymns and so forth, and far from being memorized or engraved on a Christmas card or a calendar, This text is full of mystery. It's full of wonder. The prophecy you'll notice on the screen is Numbers chapter 24. And I want you to notice with me verse 17. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh or near. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Well, folks, there it is again, right? A star and a scepter. And you may notice that the word star in that text is capitalized. 
You will also notice that the star arises, quote, out of Jacob, and the scepter belongs to Israel. Which, by the way, is really, really strange. Because at the time of Moses and the book of Numbers and this verse here, Israel did not have a monarchy. Not only did they not have a king or a scepter or a capital city, they were instructed not to have a king, at least not an earthly king. So here's the prophecy. And do you know why this morning, hear this, do you know why the wise men from the east knew this prophecy? Do you know why they embraced this promise and held the book of Numbers in their hands centuries before Moses ever, after Moses wrote it? Well, before we consider that, I think it's important to completely understand that text in the book of Numbers. Because hear this carefully, the only way to grasp the power and the marvel and the glory of Numbers 24 and all of these texts we've read, we have to first see who it is and why it is that that prophecy right there is spoken. You see, folks, verse 17 wasn't spoken in a vacuum. It is not at all some standalone text. The story of this royal star goes all the way back to Numbers 22, which has 41 verses. Then chapter 23, which has 30 verses. Then chapter 24 and chapter 25. So that there is this long, this amazing and intriguing narrative that is connected by God Himself to the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is the story? Let me just summarize it. Many of you know it. (coughs) The children of Israel have left Egypt and they've left Sinai. Whereas a brand new nation, Moses has now led them all the way up to the east side of Jordan. That is the Persian side. That's the Babylonian side. And not yet inside the promised land. On the way to these places, as you know, God enabled them to defeat and to destroy the wicked Amorites. And of course, the Egyptians, the Canaanites, and King Sihon. And then news of all these exploits reached to the king of Moab, whose name was Balak. All of this is described in Numbers 22. Balak, who is now full of fear and full of superstition, knows about a really famous soothsayer, a really famous magician named Balaam. Balaam grew up and lived on the Euphrates in ancient Babylon. He was so well known, he was so sought after and notorious that ancient engravings with his name on it have been discovered and they now, at this moment, reside in the British Museum in London. As we noted, he was basically a celebrity. A celebrity that pagans believe had the power to curse people or bless people with his enchantments. So Balak, who's afraid now that the Israelites are coming and may destroy him, the king of Moab, he hires Balaam. He pays him a lot of money to put a curse upon Israel. Not just any curse. A curse that would be so strong, it would destroy the nation entirely. And of course, Balaam, the prophet for profit, takes the job. Chapter 22 of Numbers, you'll notice on the screen. (coughs) Verse 7. And the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the rewards of divination in their hand, the money, the cash. And they came unto Balaam and spake unto him the words of Balak. In other words, here's your cash for a curse. However, that night, the true God, the real God, he comes to Balaam and basically says, don't even think about it. 
Don't even think about giving a curse. You cannot curse the nation that I have blessed. So Balaam, he goes back to the king of Moab and he says, Hey, Balak, um, you better get out of here. This is not a good idea. And Balak says, Now wait a minute, I have paid you. Do your job, I'll double your fee. Balaam says in Numbers 22, 18, If Balak gives me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the Lord, the word of the Lord, to do less or to do more. That's pretty smart for a pagan soothsayer. Smarter than the Vatican was earlier this week. Except, of course, the king of Moab isn't finished. He tells Balaam to try a different location. He says, why don't you go over here and pronounce a curse way over there and, and you know, kind of like some place that has better reception up on a hill. And Balaam says, okay. He hops on his donkey and he's climbing up to put a curse on Israel that it might be destroyed. The only problem is, the Bible says that the angel of the Lord with a sword in his hand stands in his way. At first, Balaam cannot see this angel, but the donkey can. And when he's spooked by it, he throws himself against the vineyard wall and crushes Balaam's foot. Balaam gets so angry that he gets off and he hits the donkey three times with a staff. And it says in Numbers twenty-two twenty-eight that the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and it spake to Balaam. Think of that. The donkey turned his head and basically said, bro, why'd you hit me? (laughs) Read it. And you know what? If that doesn't get Balaam's attention, now he knows he's dealing with a real God. Notice chapter 22 on your screen and verse 31. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam. And he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, and his sword drawn in his hand. Oh, that's not good. And he bowed down his head and fell flat on his face. Now follow this. It is at this time, beloved, the angel of the Lord gives to Balaam a message for Balak. By the way, if you're here today and you're thinking, Pastor, that's all. It's all just too fanciful. And strange. I don't think these events really happen. All right? There's a problem with that. For instance, the Apostle Peter, long after the resurrection of Jesus in his second epistle, he discusses and he describes both Balaam and the donkey who spoke. That is Holy Spirit inspired scripture. Not only that, the Apostle Paul writes about Balaam in Galatians 5. And yes, The Lord Jesus himself, in his letter to the church at Pergamos, points to both Balaam and Balak as real, historical characters who had an encounter with God. Which brings us back to Balak. He's now full of wrath when he learns that God has caused Balaam to actually bless Israel and not curse it. That better location only made it better for God's people. And when the king said, no, how could you do that? You can't bless them. Reverse the blessing. Here's how Balaam responds in chapter 23. You'll notice on the screen. Verse 20, behold, I have received commandment to bless. 
and he hath blessed, and I cannot reverse it. Verse 25, same chapter, And Balak said unto Balaam, Neither curse them at all, nor bless them at all. That's kind of funny. He's like, can we just start over? How about we hit the reset button? No curse, no blessing. I'll just deal with it myself. And yes, it's right here. It is right here, beloved, that Balaam is given a prophecy in chapter 24. And it is remarkable because inasmuch as Moab wants Israel wiped off of the map, Inasmuch as Balak wants Israel cursed and destroyed, the God of heaven answers that very folly with a star and a scepter. He answers it with a promise, which instead of being a curse, remains the single greatest blessing the world has ever or will ever receive. Chapter 24. Notice verse 17 again. I shall see him. But not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Now, folks, I want you to think about this. <coughs> Someday, God puts these words in his mouth. Not now and not necessarily near, but someday a royal star will appear over Judea. I remind you that Balaam was a hero to the Babylonians, as was the true prophet of God who was in Babylon by the name of Daniel. You'll note this, it is no coincidence that Daniel was put in charge of all of the wise men of the east, both by Nebuchadnezzar and by Darius. Daniel became the chief magi, the same Daniel who had introduced to Babylon this book of Moses who saved the Magi's lives by interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Before he died, Daniel wrote a book that became cherished in Babylon. Cherished especially by the Magi. So that you see, folks, these, these wise men weren't guessing. They were not aimlessly wandering to find the king of kings. They acted by virtue of their faith in the Word of God. I'm going to ask you a question. If these Eastern soothsayers would risk their lives and spend enormous amounts of resources, if they would travel almost a thousand miles just on the basis of one Bible prophecy. You know, traveling in those days was, was hard. It was tedious. And it was dangerous. They were carrying gold on that journey. Tuesday, we traveled to Knoxville, Ansley and me and Brother Kevin, Benjamin. And that drive was crazy. The holiday traffic coming back on the way home. We left at 8.30 and got home near midnight. Should have been an 11-12 hour trip. It was rough. And then there were the other trials and tribulations of that trip, including 30 hours of Kevin Besaw's puns non-stop I wasn't feeling the best so I had him drive a little bit and here we are 80 miles an hour going down the highway and for whatever reason Kevin reaches down and he pops the hood of my car <laughs> he pulls the wrong thing and he turns my car into a sailboat 
Ben's in the front seat, and he was not thrilled about that at all. Pull over. We had to pull over. Cars and trucks whizzing by, push it down. <coughs> but in all honesty, traveling today, even that trip, traveling today is easy and fast and safe and full of comfort. But not so with these wise men, as you know. And again, if they would take this journey on the basis of trusting one verse of Scripture and Daniel's prophecy, don't you think that you and I can really trust the Lord this year? Because we have the whole counsel of God. You know, it's interesting. The world tells a story of the wise men as being three kings who sort of came to Judea to check it out. Just check this out. Let us give homage the world says, to a fellow king. But beloved, that's not the story in the Bible. Matthew chapter 2, if you look at your text there, verse 11 says this, And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. Now wait a minute. It doesn't say they, they saw the child and they picked him up. And they bounced him on their knee. And talked about how cute he was. It says he fell down and worshipped him. They didn't worship Mary. They didn't treat the Lord like a fellow king. They worshipped him. They understood that Jesus was more than a prophet, more than a priest, and more than an earthly king. That in fact his name, Jesus, means Savior. And as Emmanuel, as they sang a moment ago, it means God with us. God. I was reading last week what it is that other religions and some of the founders of those religions said or wrote about Jesus. Judaism, for example, believes that Jesus was Mary's son, performed miracles, claimed to be the Messiah, was a great rabbi, and was crucified. Muhammad said that Jesus was born of a virgin, is to be revered as holy and true, and ascended to heaven. Baha'i believed that Jesus came from God, was full of wisdom, was crucified, and resurrected. Hindus believed Jesus was a holy man, a wise teacher, and a, and a God. Buddhists believed Jesus was fully enlightened and thus filled with wisdom. And so it goes, and so it goes. All of these religions and so many of its founders feel this need to describe the man and discuss the man, Jesus Christ. And it's all very positive and all very glowing. So, hear me carefully. If they say, and they all say, that Jesus was holy and enlightened and from God and miracle-working, and imbued with truth. I think we should go to Jesus and ask him what he says. If all of those people say, this man is truth and light and enlightened and holy and just, let's go to the Lord Jesus and ask him what he says about himself. Because with all of these glowing affirmations, what he claims must be true. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. 
Jesus said in John 10, I am the door by me. I am the door by me. If any man enter, he shall be saved. Jesus said in John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Jesus said, I and my Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus said, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus said, I am the living water. I am the bread of life. I am the bright and morning star. And so it goes, which is precisely why these wise men correctly fell down and worshipped him. I wonder this morning if instead of admiring Jesus, which is not enough, you too will believe and worship him as God, as Savior, as Lord. In the book of Numbers, there's a scepter and a star. That was expectation. Someday, not near, not nigh, someday, a scepter shall rise. In the book of Matthew, it wasn't expectation, it was manifestation. Where is he that is born king? We have come to worship him. In the book of Revelation, the bright and morning star, that's glorification. He is coming again. Are you ready? Our heads are bowed, please, and our eyes are closed with no one moving. One of the evidences of the inspiration of the Word of God is how 66 books throughout centuries, millennia, written by dozens of men, all have the same exact scarlet thread running through them, the same story of expectation, manifestation, and glorification. These wise men are not just some added little story in the Christmas season just to make it cute or fun. These wise men believed the Word of God and God blessed them for it. I wonder who might say this morning, Pastor Blalock, I'm here today. And by the grace of God, I'm a believer. I'm saved. But as a Christian this morning, I needed this reminder and this message. Something you said or something in the text God is using in my own heart and life. I'm saved, but I needed this today. As believers, who would say that with heads bowed, no one looking around? Would you raise your hands? God bless you and amen. Yes. <coughs> In a group this size, obviously, there would be many who've never accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. It is not enough to believe on Jesus as a good rabbi, a healer, a good man, a great teacher. He didn't come and give his blood and die was buried and resurrected, God did not send His Son so that we would merely admire Him. He sent His Son to die for our sins so that we could go to heaven with Him forever and be in fellowship. Pastor Blaylock, I'm not sure I'm part of that. I'd like to be and I need to be. I'm not sure my sins are forgiven that I've accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. I don't know that, but I need to know it and I want to know it. With heads bowed and eyes closed and no one looking around, who would say, that's me, Pastor Blalock? Would you raise your hand right where you are and we'll point you out? Yes, yes, sir. Amen. Ma'am? 
Yes, ma'am, I see your hand. Someone else, just raise, don't be embarrassed. I'm not going to call you out, I promise. I just want to pray for you. Who'll join these three, four? See your hand. We're going to pray in a moment, have a time of invitation, and if God has spoken to your heart, I hope you'll come forward. If it's a public decision, when the instruments start playing in a moment, you come forward as well. Joining the church, baptism, whatever it is. Obey the voice of our Lord. Father, we pray you'll bless this invitation. Thank you for your word. The depth, the power, the glory, the marvel of the truth of your word. Thank you that as we prayed earlier, this is not merely a fun season for those who, who follow Christ, who believe. But this is a reminder of the glory of the gospel and your great redemptive plan that is coming to its full fruition soon. For these who have asked for prayer, draw them to you, please. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen.